0: we don 't interview that long, but it 's still a good thing, so if, and i 'm not going to preach for an hour i 'm not going to preach for 45 minutes i 'm not even going to go for a half hour. so lessen your tension right now i mean the Super, <laughs> the Super Bowl pregame show will wait for you okay um, so i'll probably 'm going to jump through a little bit on on uh, on some of these things. So let me just tie into Lucas a little bit. One of the things that we said was that lucas um, I have have a great deal of respect for Lucas in the fact that he's taken this step and he is leaving some degree of uh, financial security behind and he's leaving some degree of predictability behind. And if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been talking about the story of Abraham where God asked him um, to leave behind stability and predictability for the sake of something that was going to be a blessing to abraham but through abraham a blessing to others so that's a big that's 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 part of the story that we're all challenging all that's part of all of our stories and god may be having you at different places right now and one of the things you'll hear from us in a couple weeks about as well is uh concurrent with lucas's stretch you know which is really coincidental but in god's timing he knew it was coming us as a church have made a stretch when we've hired Dan Hendricks, you've met Dan, he did the welcome Super Bowl question up here and he's a full-time pastor now with me Um, and that was a it's a significant budget stretch for Exodus and in a few weeks we're going to be challenging all of you including ourselves with uh, kind of a financial challenge for Exodus regular, you know, to challenge we're going to ask you to ask God the question about how much he may ask you to increase giving not because God has a cash flow problem, but because there's something about letting go of money that's very spiritually healthy for us, but also because we think there's a, something significant. We believe God wants us as a church to be a part of in Bloomington, Indiana. So you hear more about that in two weeks. Um, and just so you know, this whole Abraham series has not been an infomercial for money. Um, but money is a huge place for most of us. stretch. My guess is Lucas probably thought twice about taking this step because there was money involved. Uh, Not not that it hindered him, but my guess is it it was a little more of a, and uh, often when God causes us to stretch, most of most of us could acknowledge the times when, you know, God talks. The Bible talks about tithing, and and that's a stretch for a lot of us, and because we find our security in what we know. So, um, and let me. We're gonna. I'll, I'll fast forward through the story here, and if I. Talk too fast, which I always do. Then get the podcast and slow it down. All right. Um, let me just think for a second because I may want to jump through just some, jump through some slides here. Uh... All right, here we go. We'll stay here. I had to think for a second there. My mind kind of goes slow. All right, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Google Earth. All right, uh, And I think I'm, I'm, I'm close to Bloomington when I say you are here. All right, now we'll go to the next slide. Kind of zoom in a little bit closer. Go to the next one, Chip. Next one, a little bit closer. I think that's where the Boys and Girls Club is. I couldn't tell on my computer screen because my, my glasses aren't strong enough. So that's where we are. I mean, right now, that's where we are. All right, go ahead. Next slide. Okay, that's a little clear. That's the building we're in right now. You know, you are here. All right, here we are right here. And and that arrow, if I'm looking correctly, the arrow's probably somewhere either up. I don't know where it is. So if I had the yellow arrow, it's right over here. And and here's the question I ask is, okay, that's kind of the perspective of God when he sees those things, sees where we are. And right now, the question I, I, I ask, and I think some of those, you might be asking, and maybe Lucas is asking, does God see me right now? Does God know what's going on in me right now? I mean, God has this Google Earth perspective of he sees the world, he sees Bloomington, he sees the whole world in his hands. Boom, here's the church on Sunday morning, boom. But if that yellow arrow was pointed right here, does God see him? Not just see him, but does God know what's going on? Does he know the anxieties, the needs, where God needs to show up? Because a lot of us, you know, we believe God is good and we know God is loving, but sometimes the question is, Does he, is he aware of me and what I'm pushing through right now? So we've been going a series calling Stretching Way Beyond Comfort. The picture is from Indiana Jones where we're stepping into this abyss, not knowing what the step will bring, and that's part of faith. Faith leaves behind predictability. It leaves behind comfort. And is open to the fact that I might just fall into this abyss and never come back up again. Um, faith has no predictability to it, except in the unchanging nature of God. That's a big except, but that's it, it's the myth of certain in control of our lives is goes out the window. All right, so here's uh, you know Abraham was called. God said, I'm gonna, "I want you to leave your, where you're at, where you're from, in Ur of the Chaldeans. I want you to go to this new country." And then Abraham goes. Go to the next slide. We're going to kind of fast. This is, a, this is kind of a previously on the last couple Sundays. God tells Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave. Go to the land. I'm going to show you. I want you to do this because I'm going to bless you, Abraham, through you. I'm going to bless others. And Abraham, at that point, didn't have a son. He was 75 years old. He was like, how is this going to happen? I am not have any descendants. Oh, maybe Eliezer, my servant, maybe that's going to be my heir. I mean, you know, we all try to figure out God's plan, so it must be my servant. God's like, no, no, you're going to have a son of your own. So Abraham tries to figure out God like we all do, and he says, okay, I'll have a son of my own, but since my wife Sarah can't bear a child, I'll do it through her servant Hagar. So he bears a child through his servant, his wife's servant, Ishmael. And God's like, no, Ishmael's not the one either. And like we do, Abraham scratches his head, like, well, God, I don't understand this. You said I'm going to have a, a, you know, a bunch of descendants. I don't have any. And then God comes through on this promise. 25 years later, Sarah has a baby abraham's 100 sarah's up there in years too abraham names his son isaac so the promise that abraham had acted on 25 years later he begins to see something come to fruition about that and that's where we have that horrible horrible four-letter word wait and we've talked about that a little bit then to top it off god, won't, god doesn't stop there then god says to abraham now i want you to And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain. I'm going to show you, and that's where it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. We're thrown into all kinds of disequilibrium, all kinds of what, God? What are you up to? And then, and then, uh, because I thought, God, you asked me to leave, and I, where's this predictability, control, and certainty? And where's this, you know? So that's where we end last week, and then Abraham. Uh, placed the wood on the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder. So he actually is going through with this. Isaac's probably 10-ish, 12-ish, we don't know exactly, but he was old enough to carry the wood. Um, the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, and Abraham says, Yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? And you've got to figure Abraham's heart is just wretched at this point. He says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. And again, Abraham did not know how the story was going to end. He didn't have any flash-forward information like we have. He had no idea what was ha- going to happen to him up hill. He did have a knife that was sharp and wood that would burn. So he wasn't bringing up toy knives and toy wood. He was planning to do what God had asked him to do. When they arrived at the place where God told him to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, Tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his sacrifice, kill his son to sacrifice. And again, a couple weeks ago, we talked about all the turmoil that comes in this passage, emotionally and spiritually, and what was God asking. This is the painting that I was talking about where Isaac is in the moment of, Abraham's got this real knife it's really sharp. He was really going to go through with it he wasn't pretending. And then we keep going. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. And my guess is he was probably quite eager to respond. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Keep going. And last week the question was, are you withholding anything from God? Because it seemed like what God really valued in Abraham was, you didn't withhold anything from me. Not even the thing you treasured the most. So the question I asked last week from this passage is, if we want to be people who have the faith of Abraham, which seems to be what brings God incredible delight, Are you withholding anything from God? All right, keep going. Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. He took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. This day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Next one. Um, We'll skip past this one. But I want to rewind, though. We skip and rewind. You know, that's one of those things kind of messes you up mentally, I suppose. Here we go. Go back for a second here. Go forward. I mean, go forward now. I meant rewind, but go forward. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to focus on just one simple phrase, and we'll do it in a few minutes here. When they're going up the hill, and, Ab- and Isaac says, where's the, we got the knife, we got the wood, we got the fire, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide. And again, he didn't know how the story was going to end, but there was some absolute confidence he had in the unchanging, good, loving nature of God. All right, God will provide. All right, next slide. After it all happens, Abraham is so kind of overwhelmed, and he names the place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah is the Hebrew kind of terminology for God. They, they would use it without the vowels. Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So again, he told, he told Isaac go up the hill, the Lord will provide. Now he says again, after it happened, he named the place. This is the place I'm going to call it, the Lord will provide. All right? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. All right, now, next slide. Um, the, the letters on top, there's Hebrew letters, and I'm not saying this to try to be impressive or anything, but I want you to get a sense, the, it means Jehovah Jireh, just a quick quick note the uh, hebrew the old testament written in hebrew hebrew language hebrew reads from right to left all right just just so you just so something you might win on trivial pursuit sometime if anybody asks you that question reads from right to left so the hebrew bible actually starts in the back cover and flips the other way and so if you read it this way the words are jehovah jireh all right big phrase you know that god provides now, what's interesting is the passage in scripture, we always most often hear it translated, the Lord will provide. But the sense of the word there and other translations, really the sense of the word is not just that God will provide, but God, God will see. It's kind of that you are here question. Does God there's a difference between knowing God will provide and God sees me. There's a little bit different, or it's God will God is aware of me. So Jehovah Jireh is, is not just. God's going to provide. You know, God has this eternal bank account and eternal he's going to provide. But it's it's even the sense of God is aware of what I need. Um my dad died 25 years ago. I love my dad, godly man. He provided for me and he loved me. I'm not sure he was always aware of me. Aware of my needs. Aware of what was going on inside of me, that maybe he could have helped meet or you know help me work through. So, and I'm saying that simply because I think sometimes we, have, yeah, I believe God will provide. I believe God loves me, and I believe God's good. But I think most of us would acknowledge we need more of that. We need more than that. We need to know God sees me, and He's aware. So when Abraham's going up the mountain, he says to Isaac, God is completely aware of what's going on here, Isaac. Isaac had no idea what Abraham was talking about. God is completely aware of what's going on and what I need right now because Abraham didn't just need a lamb. He needed courage at that moment. And when he names the place the Lord will provide, he's calling it the Lord saw, the Lord saw to it. The Lord was aware of what was going on, and he took care of the need at the moment when it needed taken care of. You see, because sometimes if it's just simply the Lord will provide, then it kind of, we kind of go to the next slide. We kind of take the, go to the next one. You know, there's passages of scripture that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. My God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. True statements. But sometimes we hate to take those statements and put them through what I call the hallmark grid, and they become kind of trite phrases I'm not saying the Bible is trite, but we take and make it a trite phrase. God's going to supply all my needs. You know, uh, all these things. You know, don't tr- you know trust God? That's true, but I think a lot of times we say that. I've said that, and I've heard it from people in ways that feel shallow. Um, but it is true that God will meet all of our needs. Um, last week uh, I don't see him here this morning. Jerry Naylor, some of you know Jerry. He's probably the oldest guy who comes to the Exodus, and he doesn't mind me saying that. He was telling me about when his daughter, I think then in her early 20s, had cancer. She was going in for one of her surgeries, and the last thing he said to her was, hey, Jehovah Jireh, God provides, God sees. Jerry is absolutely committed, and he believes that that's who God was and who God is. His daughter died a year later from cancer. Jehovah Jireh is still true. The, ha- the story didn't end happily. All right? I talked to a guy this week, somebody from Exodus, and some real struggles in his life, and his family life, because of some things that happened in his family that wasn't his fault or anybody in their family's fault. And he said, I'm absolutely convinced that God provides. But it's really hard for him, because it's not, the story, you know, the, like the sitcom ends in 30 minutes, and it's all cleaned up. It's not cleaned up yet. But Jehovah Jireh, God God sees, God knows exactly what this man needs, and he knows exactly when he needs it, all right? I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a, f- a friend of mine. I'll just call him Steve. He doesn't go to church here. He's a gay man. Um, he and I get together for coffee about every four months. We got connected through just kind of an odd connection about four years ago. One of the things he told me that it was one of his most frustrating things with God is, when he was younger, he said, I, I would pray and ask and kind of beg God to change my feelings, change my orientation or however you want to say it. And We're not going to get that in debate right now. But, and he said, in God didn't, therefore my assumption is God doesn't get involved in the lives of people. Jehovah Jireh really wasn't his experience. God didn't provide. God wasn't seeing what I was crying out to him about. So my, my point is, there's this, this bedrock thing of God provides, God sees. It's, it's hard sometimes, because it doesn't always end in a pretty story. And sometimes you're hanging by a thread, and as Abraham's going on the mountain, he's probably hanging by a thread, but then when he's going down the mountain, there was something vastly different about his heart and his soul and when he says, if Abraham was here today and he would say this word in its proper Hebrew pronunciation, Jehovah Jireh or whatever, there would be a weight to how he said it that we would all be like, wow, I'd love to be like that someday. I'd love to have that kind of confidence in God's provision. But it came because he was willing to actually go the whole nine yards. Um, go again the next one here and where we'll finish today. Um, because here's the last Jehovah Jireh story that doesn't have a nice, a seemingly nice pretty ending. is you've got Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a lot of interesting comparative things between Abraham and probably his wrestling with God on the nights and days before he was going up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And then you have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, Gethsemane the night before he was going to be arrested and beaten and tried and whipped and die, he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with the God he believes is his father. It is his father, but he believes his father is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees, the Lord who provides, the Lord who's aware of everything that's stirring inside of me and all the needs that I have. And and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says to God, this is how his prayer was, and it says he was, you know, he was sweating as if it was drops of blood. We don't know if he was sweating blood, but he was intensely in agony with what the stretch beyond comfort that God had put before him. And he says to God, Abba, Father, and Abba was the kind of endearing term like daddy, like my, my daddy who I can trust, my daddy who sees me, my daddy who provides for me, my daddy who is good and loving. Abba, Father, you can do all things. In other words, God, you have the power to do whatever you want to do. You have, you can change the course of history at the snap of your finger. Abba, Father, you can do all things. That was, that, was, that was line one of Jesus' prayer. Line two of Jesus' prayer was, take this cup from me. In other words, God, if there's a plan B that doesn't involve torture, blood, death on a cross, if there's a plan B, any kind of plan B that can bring about the blessing of the world and the redemption of the world and the whole new life for people today and 2,000 years ago in a town called Bloomington, Indiana. God, if there's any other plan B, can we move plan A cup away and give me plan B? And so this is where I love, not only is Jesus the son of God, but I love the humanity of Jesus because he's basically being very honest saying, I don't want this. I want this stretch, probably not unlike Abraham, might have wrestled with God. It's like, God, is there there another way? So, Abba, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup from me. And then the last line of Jesus' prayer, which which is a line that if we can embody this in our lives, we would all be deeper, broader, stronger women and men. And he says, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So he's dead honest with God, I don't want this, but if it's what you want, I'll do it. And so Jesus walks up this mountain, so to speak, to his sacrifice, and there was no lamb in the thicket at the last minute. God didn't say, oh, okay, uh, okay stop the story, Jesus, uh, you're out now, lamb take the place. Because the Bible says Jesus was the lamb he became the sacrifice, his stretch beyond comfort did not for one second negate the fact that God is still Jehovah Jireh. And somehow our understanding of God's provision, his love, his goodness, his awareness of us has to kind of stretch through that. And then when we see Jesus living in that kind of confidence of his father, then what he did with that was he breaks the hold of death over us he breaks the fear of dying over us so that whatever stretch god asks us to take we know there's someone who's taken a greater stretch and who will be with us through that stretch and then hebrews says this therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud crowd of witnesses previous chapter talked about abraham and others these great stretch beyond faith people let us strip off every weight that slows us down, which in most of our cases is fear. That the weight that slows us down is fear. Especially a sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has it before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he took this leap of faith stretched beyond comfort. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So no matter what stretch God is asking of you or will ask of you, whether it's something like Lucas's stretch, maybe it's a bigger stretch, maybe it's going to be a financial stretch we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, maybe it's other kind of stretches, um, Jesus is, will walk through you with that so you can then be the kind of person who God says, I'm going to bless you, and through you now I'm going to bless others because of your obedience. That's the kind of people we want to be. And you can, what, what would happen in a town like Bloomington if you even had this many people a small, small, small percentage of this community, if this many people would start moving that direction in, in maybe faster ways, greater ways, or whatever, and we begin to say to God, God, whatever you want us to do, we're going to stretch, and we wanna, we want we, we want your blessing, God, in our lives, but we want to bless this community. We want to bless other churches. We want to bless the poor, the orphan, the oppressed. We want to see Bloomington change, but that's not going to happen unless we're willing to be these kind of people. Um, and we have this bedrock commitment that God sees, God provides, God knows. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion in God. Uh, thank you for, again, like I said before, for, for Abraham, kind of the original inductee into the Hall of Fame of faith. But then as we come to the table of communion, we are... We are grateful beyond measure for what this passage we read calls the champion, which is Jesus, Um, the champion of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, because he went through with it, and he came through with it with joy. No replacements, no last-minute plan changes, and he goes through that step and that stretch with joy because he was absolutely confident that you, his Abba, We're a good father who sees, provides, and is aware of. So God, I pray for these, my brothers and my sisters here this morning, that we would all look to you as our Abba. And uh, because of the example of Jesus and him who has opened this new and living way for us, would we follow him in that kind of trust of you? And as we take this bread and drink this cup um, in response to Jesus' Exhorting us to do this, to remember what He did, uh, would we take it with the hope and the expectation that we can become those kind of people with the life of Jesus inside of us? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. How we do it?